I always say that if people understood why horses do what they do, they wouldn't be nearly as afraid of them. Because it, 90% of the time, the horse is afraid, and that's why they're acting the way they do. Is there something that you would rather be doing? Is there somewhere you would rather be living? I'm Kat Caldwell-Myers, and if this is you, I totally get you. I have lived a lot of my life in those states, and I've done a lot of work around understanding what drives us in the adventure paradox, why we don't do the thing we're really called to do, and what happens when we do do that thing. Or discover that thing is right here, right now. Let's go. There we go. And why don't you just start with introducing yourself. Who are you? Well, I'm Johnny Leverett, and I work with horses. Johnny, where'd you come from? Came from Texas. Texas! Mm -hmm. Big hat. Your hat ought to be bigger from Texas. Well, because I'm not in Texas, my hat is smaller now. (laughs) Shrunk in Colorado. Yeah, it did. (laughs) I read a few articles about you and your grandfather, specifically, who was quite a horseman. He used to say, no one's going to ride him. What was it he used to say? He was a livestock trader, so he would bring in these horses that he got a deal on. And he would tell my cousin and I, his name was Johnny also, a year older. He said, boys, I got to get them sold, so let's get them rode. That's right. And we did that, but it wasn't always the prettiest thing that ever happened. And I'm not sure anyone else ever rode them after we got through with them. That's right. But... Yeah, it was the old days. That was in the 50s. And horsemanship back in those days, even the good guys, it was rougher than it is today. Back then, they were, they were absolutely more of a tool, just like they are in the ranches today. And they had to get a job done. And in this particular case, because he was a trader, he was to get them sold. So it was just getting prepared by any methods that were available and we didn't think they were bad because of the time but no one else knew any better Mm. and it's kind of like now we spend a lot of time trying to educate the horse instead of just training it if we just train on them and don't educate them about anything they're going to hit a level and stay there Mm -hmm. and maybe like their job maybe they won't like their job but it's just the way they did things back then he was a good man he always said, be as good to the horse as they'll allow you to be. Wow. So the the intent was there. It's just at that point in time and in that area, they hadn't really moved forward with horsemanship as we know it today. Yeah. Let's so. go back to being a child, though. What was your first experience that you can remember riding a horse? No, it's crazy. At 75 years old now, I cannot tell you what I did yesterday. <laughs> Sometimes not even in the morning. But I can remember back when I was probably two years old, sitting in the in the front of the saddle, riding with my mother. Wow. And yeah, I can remember that clearly. What was your mother like? My mom, she was quite the rider. And a lot of that had to do with where we were at. We had a dairy farm and we had outside cattle besides just the dairy. And so you're always riding, using the horse for the purpose back then. Do you feel like something is lost in horsemanship now where 
less and less people use horses. They're using machines instead for a lot of the same jobs. Well, I don't know. That's a debatable situation. It depends on who you talk to. There is no question that the type of horsemanship that we're doing today existed way, way back. Even times of Xenomon in the days of the war horses and everything. There were great horsemen back then who truly understood the animal and tried to work with where the animal was coming from. And, I mean, it's not that far-fetched to look back when you see the story of Seabiscuit, how they come with this old cowboy who had worked, Tom Smith, I believe was his name, who had worked with Mustangs, and they were going to cast off Seabiscuit, but he figured out what makes Seabiscuit tick and why he did what he does. And the gist of the whole thing, that's what horsemanship is about today, more than just looking at it as a tool or a golf cart or a machine. It's realizing you're working with a living, breathing, thinking animal who reads us like an open book. And if we try to understand where this animal is coming from and understand why it does what it does, we're in a much better position to deal with it than just looking at what's on the surface of why is it doing this or why did it react this way? And that's a key. Yeah. Yeah. Do we react just like the horse reacts? That's where horsemanship gets lost. Right. Is when we quit thinking and we react to what the horse is reacting to. So if we can both get on the same plane and start thinking together and working together, I think ultimately that's what what we classify as this modern day horsemanship of what we're trying to achieve. But the reality is it has existed way before we even started it. Absolutely. You know, I think one of the biggest differences today comes down to fear. Right. Because in the past, if you were afraid, you had to work through that because you still needed to get to town right. on the horse. But right. today, right. when people are afraid, they may give up. They may not ride again. They may pass the horse along. What do you think about fear? I always say that if people understood why horses do what they do, they wouldn't be nearly as afraid of them. Because it. 90% of the time, the horse is afraid, and that's why they're acting the way they do. Which, even at times when I've gotten aggressive horses, it usually started out of fear. And then they found out that it worked for them, and they capitalized on it, so to speak. But, you know, I've spent the last 50 years, people bring me horses who were, and it's a crude thing to say, were their last resort on they had exhausted every training method or mechanical device and they end up bringing them to me and not a hundred percent successful but most of the time there is a good horse in there waiting to come out there have been a few that haven't been but the fear thing it's uh when you got two participants that are afraid of each other the horse and the human mm -hmm. There's not a lot of thinking going on. Yeah. There's a lot of reaction going on. And we discussed frustration earlier on on the human's part about not being able to get the horse to do something. Mm -hmm. And then it turns over to the horse because the human is frustrated 
because they can't convey their message to the horse. And then the horse gets frustrated and then anger gets involved and then everything falls apart. Yeah. And frustration, most cases in every situation, the result of lack of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like I'm not real good on computers, but if someone gave me a job with my level of computer literacy and they set me down with this a computer like I see here and they come in every hour and said, why aren't you getting this right? Why aren't you getting this right? But they never explained to me how to do it. I would get pretty frustrated and I may take it for a while, but then I might just get mad and leave or whatever. That's kind of the same place that the horse is at. And it's how you present your ideas to the horse, Mm. whether it makes sense to him or not. It doesn't matter whether it makes sense to us. It has to make sense to the horse. Yeah. And, you know, in the early days when I was young, I used to do a lot of cult starting clinics and all this stuff. And like a lot of young guys, I don't know if then it was as much about the horse as it was showing people how good I was and that I could set up a situation to get people on their horses and they were amazed and think it was some sort of horse whispering deal, which I don't know what that means. But (laughs) looking back, I quit doing that because it wasn't fair to the horse. Mm. People would come to these clinics, I'd have them, trotting, loping around their horse in two days. And I would always tell them, this is just to show you what can be done with a horse if things are set up properly where they can understand it, that you can do almost anything quickly. Does not mean that the horse is ready for you to take home and start riding. And what I realized then, it kind of pertained to our children how, yeah, we may have a really bright child, And at a young age, we can teach them something, but we sure shouldn't put them a six-year-old in the 10th grade studies because they're going to fail. And that's what I felt I was doing with these horses, setting them up for failure. Mm. And so I started, the older I got, and I started slowing things down. And people would come to me with horses, and I realized With these horses, if you really want to get your point across, you need to take one thing, present it to them, and do repetition. Repetition till they understand, till they get on a learning curve. And once they start getting on the learning curve and they adjust to that, things start coming quicker. One reason is because they start losing their fear. Mm. Now, they have to have some respect, but they lose their fear. And when they lose their fear, their mind is such that they can absorb, they're more open to absorbing more than what's coming from you to them. Yeah. And because all the horse cares about is how it feels at that moment with you. And that's why some people can walk up to a horse and it tenses up right away because they sense. Mm. And then the next person walk up and the horse lets Mm. down, you know? So... I think the question was about fear, and I start rambling about stuff. It's great. I love it, but, Johnny. Yeah, the the fear thing is, and I have to admit, most times with horses, the fear has been created by the human, either from lack of understanding or abuse. Yeah. Abuse. The thing that 
we want to instill fear into things to make them mind us. It doesn't work with people. Why should it work with an animal who fears for its life to start with? And it has always amazed me. And the older I get, the more amazed I am, the more I understand about them, that why these rascals would even allow us to ride them. Right. For what they give back to us. If people really look at what these animals give back to us for as little that we give to them, it's pretty amazing. Miraculous. It's, it's pretty amazing. I mean, I've taken horses who have been horribly abused, and 98% of the time, if you're fair with this horse, and there's some discipline involved, there has to be. But when they start letting down, they start gaining some confidence in themselves, start losing their fear. They start giving you some respect, which has to be earned. It cannot be given. Mm. Then it's amazing how much of the past that they will let go. Not that it can't ever pop up again, but that is our responsibility in my mind for all that the horse is giving us. We need to take care of that animal and watch out for it and not just sit on its back. Well, and I think, again, going back to, and and it's a big field horsemanship, right? I mean, we have dressage, we have Western, we have roping. Right. There are so many different disciplines. Right. But what you just touched on is caretaking the horse. And really understanding their basic needs. Right. Earlier you were talking about this idea of the circle and that you start here with these basics. And I always think the masters master the basics, right? Right. And watching you work with Jet today and understanding tying is totally counterintuitive for a horse. Right. They don't want to be tied. They want to move. Right. Would you explain to us what else is on that circle you think about when you start working with a horse? Hey, Kat, here for a quick commercial break. If you haven't heard, my book, The Adventure Paradox, is available on Amazon. And it's been getting some really amazing reviews. It's actually been a little bit overwhelming uh, and maybe too much to say in the middle of this interview. So we'll get back to it. But I did want to let you know it is available. It was a bestseller in six categories. And if you really enjoy this podcast, I think you will really enjoy this book. So please go check it out. The circle. You know, I think we touched on it today about the people who have come and wanted to learn horsemanship and how many have come. And as you travel around the circle, when they realize that it's not so much that the horse has to change, it's that we have to change. It's we have to change in order to get what we want to have happen make sense to the horse. And that the horse can get in a place where it feels safe and comfortable doing it. And if I start going off and left field, pull me back in. <laughs> but bet. this circle, let's back up a little bit. When you talk about all the different disciplines of horsemanship, good horsemanship 
I don't care whether you're the world's greatest horse trainer, Western horse trainer, or if you're the world's greatest dressage rider. If you take the two best that there have ever been and put those two guys together, they are going to appreciate each other. They're going to appreciate good horsemen because they're not paying attention to the label, the agenda, or the words. They are seeing and feeling of what's happening here. Yeah. And they 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 both have that in the horse and 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 how do, how does one get there which most of us never do is you travel that circle. And when you start off in that circle, the trainer knows nothing, the horse knows nothing. Mm-hmm. And every step of that circle that they travel gets easier and easier because of the knowledge that you're gaining. Now, if you travel that circle and there is abuse, punishment, discipline is different. If there's abuse and punishment, you're not gaining anything. You're going to be hung at that one spot. But if you keep working down that circle and learning everything, it gets easier and easier and easier. It's no different than when we put a child in school. and if you put them in kindergarten and they have positive teachers who who know the right buttons to push or how to set things up for kids, all of a sudden their minds open up and they become like sponges. Yeah, It's no different with a horse. But if all of a sudden you've got a room full of kindergarten and some big six foot nine guy is a kindergarten teacher and he walks into all these innocent children, innocent horses, babies, and says, all right, you little brats, one false move, and you'll regret it. You've lost those kids. You'll be lucky to get them back. It's no different than with a horse. Again, one guy sitting on the fence is going to say, well, you need to discipline this horse. He's got, yeah, all that, but you know what? When I was doing a clinic in Denver one time, somebody started telling me about, am I bouncing off the circle here? You're doing great. (laughs) You're in the circle. (laughs) But I said, I'm not a clinician. I'm just an old rancher with, I feel, good horses. And what makes my horses good? In my mind, not the next guy, but in my mind, that every horse I own catches me I get on that horse. It may not be the greatest trainer. It may not be the greatest roper. It may not be the greatest dressage horse, but they will do it all and they love doing it. Yeah. They have a good attitude. It's not so much in my mind about becoming the greatest trainer or becoming the greatest dressage rider. It's about having a horse who no matter what you ask it, says, I'm all in. Let's Mm -hmm. go for it. That's what's important to me. I don't care if it's the best in the world. What I want is a positive attitude from the horse, and it give me the try. I love it. I love it. So whether I'm working with a Mustang or working with a draft horse or, like I told you earlier, a quarter-million-dollar Alden Dock Warmblood, I want them to just have the attitude to do the best that they can do. Mm -hmm. And I think you were watching me and my horse day. You saw my horse was into it more than I was. Oh, yeah. You know? It's funny. Actually, I want to share that because it's a great story. So you get on your horse. What's her name again? Sparkles. Sparkles. 
She's 14. Yeah. Probably quarter horse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Beautiful horse, by the way. Right. So you hop on her, you get in the round pen with Jet, right? And she knew every move and was pushing Jet off with her ears back. And then at the end, when it was starting to come together and Jet was working with you, she knew that moment. It was just amazing. Yeah to watch you dance together, right? You know, it's interesting that you say that because I've worked with a lot of ranchers, being a rancher myself, and you mentioned dancing with horses. Well, the horse is nothing but rhythm on Mm -hmm. four feet, feels, timing, and balance. And if you can't... I guess my point is some of the old ranchers say, oh, don't, don't say that to me. That's not manly and stuff like that. But yet, these guys... Half of the ranchers are good horsemen. Mm. They are in time with their horse. They are in rhythm with their horse. They know the feel, timing, and balance it takes. Then the other half are a sack of potatoes sitting on the horse. Okay? And I'm not being critical, but it's just the way people are. In that group of horsemen, they may not want to hear, man, you have good timing. And, and they're posting. And they don't even know what posting means. But they've done it enough and in their conscience, they've tried to make it easier on themselves to ride. So consequently, they have developed these skills that we try to teach on their own just to make it easier. So in essence, what are we all trying to do here? We're trying to make it easier on one another. We want the horse to do what we want it to do. But in turn, we've got to be able to present these things to the horse so that when everything becomes easier for us, that's when it's nice. It's like when I talk about people about creating a light horse. And the way you can relate to that is if you're my age, you've driven the old 1951 pickup trucks where you had to crank the Mm -hmm. wheel and jam the gears and all that. And they got the job done. And they performed the service like some of the old horses we had. But if you ever teach these horses to be light and responsive and be into their work, like driving that big new Dodge with all the power, it's effortless to drive that truck. If you ever get your horse like that Dodge where it's effortless and it reads you more than you're conveying to it, To me, that's what it's all about because the horse is is coming back to you and giving you everything. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know what that has to do with the circle, but that's what (laughs) happens when you talk to a 75-year-old cowboy. They go off in left field. No, hold on. But usually I'll run out of things to say and get back to where we were talking. So, Are you a cowboy or a rancher? What's Uh, I'm not really a cowboy. I'm more of a horseman than I'm a way better horseman than I'm a cowman. And Gunnison has a lot of good cowmen. But even as a kid around the cows, I always paid more attention to the horses. Yeah. You know, I have here an article by Sandy fails. Great article in Crested Butte magazine. And one of the quotes is to err is human to forgive is equine. Thanks to my daughter. <laughs> Did your daughter say that? Will you tell my us daughter that? says that, you know, my daughter and I've told you about my wife when she was here back in the days when I was starting a lot of cults and she wasn't what you would call a horse person. She loved the horses, 
But she didn't grow up with it as a youth like I did, even though she went to camp and they put her on a barrel racing horse and all this. It was your wife, right? Yeah, that yeah. was my wife, yeah. Aunt Sybil. And, but she was kind of an old soul, I guess is what you call it. And I was always a man of the moment. Some people tell me that's why I was good with horses. I don't know. I don't think that far ahead. <laughs> but Sybil could always see what you did today, how it would affect you weeks, months, even years down the road. I never could see that far in advance. And I would come in from working with a colt. And I would say, this horse was doing so-and-so and so-and-so, and and now it's here. And she'd say, she'd just look at me and say, it needs more time. And I always listened to her. And she was always right. And when she... Uh, left, my daughter took her place in that wisdom that I never had, that, that some people are just born with it. And one day I was talking about some instance with a horse. I don't remember the exact situation. And my daughter says, well, you know, dad, to err is human, to forgive is equine. And I thought, man, that's dead on. Because that's exactly what we were talking about earlier and that's what all of the we as long as we are working with the horse as long as our attitude is right and there is no temper or anger involved we can keep messing up and making mistakes and then when we finally do get it right boom most of the time the horse is going to be right there and it's almost like they look at you and say i've been waiting for you I've been waiting for you, no matter how much. And people, one of the things that's interesting, I hear most often, I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to mess my horse up. Well, if you don't try, you're never going to figure out how to get there. And if it's like me, in my life, I pretty much messed everything up before I finally got it right. But what is different with a horse And not 100%, but most cases is as long as your attitude is right, you can keep messing up and messing up and messing up. But when you get it right, they're right there for you. Mm. They're right there for you. And it's an amazing situation. Yeah, they're amazing creatures at what they give back to us. Absolutely. And you bring so much out in your teaching. And in these articles, I never met Sybil, and I'm so sorry. Well, I'm not sorry because I did, even though it was some of us are lucky enough. We don't get to keep them as long as we like, just like our horses and dogs. But we have to be thankful for the time that we had. Amen. Amen. And it seemed in this article, you know, and what you were just sharing with us about what your daughter saw in you and you heard it and you carried it with you. right? Right. But Sybil brought out so much wisdom in watching you teach and helping you see and maybe express in words what was happening. So one story in particular that I'm thinking about, were you working with maybe penitentiary boys or something like that? Yeah, yeah. That's a real interesting scenario because uh, it was back when, before my wife had left, and I had a young man who's gone on to do great things with horses who was my apprentice here. And, His name was Brent. And we got a call from a lady, uh, 
over on the Eastern Slope and said she had been a teacher for, and I won't mention the name of the school, but it was a school where there were young men who I guess were too young to go to the penitentiary or whatever. I may not be saying the right words, but they were at this school to rehab. And she said they had tried using horses as a means to get through to these boys, but the program was failing Mm -hmm. and asked if we would come over there and help. And we had no idea what we were getting into. We weren't psychologists for young men, but we thought we'd go help. So we get over there and there's this group of boys and they had to earn the privilege at this school to be in this horsemanship program with the idea that they could get more out of these boys through the horses. But anyhow, the long and the short of it is when we got there, tell you what, and I'm the first to tell you never judge a book by its cover. I've learned that the hard way. But I did judge these boys when I first saw them. I thought, man, it's not a group of young men I'd want to meet out on a dark alley at night alone. And I asked the lady, I said, what are they in here for? And she said, I'm not going to tell you because then you'll judge them. And I thought, well, fair enough. And so anyhow, we started working with these boys and we went off with like how long-winded I can be. And we started talking to these boys and teaching them, talking to them about how to approach the horse and how to properly catch the horse and the same old boring stuff. And I could see I was losing these boys really quick within the first 30 minutes. And so I thought, you know what? We got to change things up here to keep these boys' interest. And I'm here to tell you, at these places where they donate all the horses, they donate all the saddles, generous people. But the group of horses that were donated to these boys were not. There were reasons why they were donated. (laughs) They were either lame or outlaws. Mm. And uh, these boys had never really ridden. They had put them on these horses and led them around. Mm -hmm. And they never really sat in the saddle. So I thought, what the heck, we're going to go for it. So we got them all out there. We shortcut everything, got these boys and these horses. And I mean, we were inside this arena and these horses were a little bit out of control. And it was getting a little bit cowboy in there. Mm -hmm. They're running around and the boys are screaming and yelling and falling off the horses. And I look over and I see the administrator is crying. I thought, oh, we've got it too cowboy in here. And I told my prince said, go over and tell her I apologize. We'll stop and get things back into control. And he went over and told her. And all of a sudden, she come riding over to me briskly. And I thought, oh, I'm in trouble now. And she wrote up and says, do not stop what you're doing. I said, why? I thought it was getting a little too wild. She says, you don't understand. We have not been able to get these boys to vocalize a word talking to us in their therapy sessions. She said, they're going wild, screaming and playing and laughing. Just keep it up. So anyhow, that was one scenario. But getting to what you asked me about my wife and her wisdom, I remember we had one horse out there And he was a bad kicker. He was kicking at everybody. And 
I told the boys, we have to address this. And I said, he's kicking because he's afraid. Hmm. He's not because he wants to hurt you guys, but you can get hurt. And so we got everybody out. We addressed this with the horse. And anyhow, I went home that weekend and I was telling my wife, I said, you know, it's amazing with these boys how I would a little worried about meeting them on a dark alley, but these boys love these horses. And I said, these horses take care of these boys. And I said, they're not the best bunch of horses to be doing that. And I said, I don't quite understand what's going on here. My wife looked at me with a smile and she says, you don't get it, do you? And I said, no, what is it? And she says, the reason that relationship exists with those boys is one, they have a little bit of fear of these horses, but the reason they love these horses is because the horses don't judge them. So why does that not work both ways? Mm. And when we see these horses that are acting out, in my mind, they're crying out. But when they're acting out and we're interpreting it by looking on the surface and saying, see, he kicked at me. You need to figure out why he started kicking in the first place. Yeah. And it's always with these animals. We have this tendency in our world of verbal communication of relying on what is said, which these horses are, in my mind, at least most of the horses that have come to me are screaming for help. But people see what's happening on the surface. They are misinterpreting what's going on. Let's talk a little bit more about love, because I love that idea of, of no judgment. I don't know if you've heard this from anybody recently, but I was talking to someone about owning horses and riding my horses. And she said, I don't believe in riding horses. I think right. it's cruel. Right. I think all horses should be free. What's your thought about that? To me, it's a little like saying all dogs should be free and no one should own them. What are your You thoughts know, a simplistic approach in my mind, and I'm pretty simple is that would kind of be like saying, well, no one should work. Do I need to say more? Great resignation. This is the time. Maybe say more. Say more. <laughs> We're going to take a short break. And I'm recording this from a beautiful garden, which reminds me so much of my grandma's garden. And places where we go, so much resonance for us. It's the smell. It's the touch. It's the look. It's the ambiance and I invite you on a journey to some of my favorite places in my first book The Adventure Paradox available on Amazon. It's a bestseller in six categories and has been getting amazing reviews but more than that this book is meant in no small way to change your life and the feedback from my clients and first readers is that it has and will. So you don't want to miss this one. Go check it out. Who gets in trouble the most? People who have nothing to do. Yeah. People who have no purpose in life. Yeah. So if you feel that your horse is burdened by carrying too much weight, lighten the load, mm -hmm. but still keep him working. My initial response would be, what if none of the world worked? 
-hmm. And we all had all this idle time. Why is it then when people work and they relax on the weekends, but they feel good about themselves? Mm -hmm. Not everybody, but most of us, if we like our work, we're into it, we want to keep doing it. So what is wrong with work? We classify horses, animals as beasts of burdens, but are we not somewhat beast of burdens ourselves in our society if we don't work then it's that simple we don't work we don't contribute what are we contributing if we're not working mm. and giving to our family our kids or paying taxes to help people who aren't working I mean, it all comes back to an animal. It depends on your perspective, I guess, that you just said today, you look like Sparkles was having more fun than I was. She was. And I guarantee she was. My old clinic nurse, Charlie, her full brother, mm. that I retired because he got knee forward and it would make him sore when I was working him. Uh, when I took Sparkles and started doing all of his work, I'm telling you, this horse stand at the fence for hours and watch and just say, I should be doing that, not her. Yeah. But if we can enjoy our work, why can't these animals enjoy their work? Mm. That question can be debated and it can be justified, I guess, by it depends on where a person is coming from. But if you're asking my opinion... If your horse is being burdened by the work you put on him, then you need to make some adjustments. Agreed. You know, if the load's too heavy, lighten the load. If he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing, then educate him more. Show him how it's supposed to be done so that it makes sense to him. But you look at even some of the cutting horses, the reining horses in the right hands. They love what they're doing. They're bred to do it, and they thrive doing it. Mm -hmm. So why would you take that away from them? Mm -hmm. I guess simplistically going back to what I originally said, what if none of us worked? We'd, we'd all be a worthless bunch. Right. I love that. When sure. was the moment that you knew what you were here on the planet to do? I still haven't figured that one out. <laughs> Because every time I work with a horse, even to this day, and I think it's why I go slower now, one, because of my age, but two, because I don't want to miss the things I missed when I was younger, moving faster. Yeah. And there are so many things that this animal is sending you that if you blink, you'll miss it. It's just, I think you, if you noticed today when I was working with your horse, I never took my eyes off his face. Yeah. And because his face, his ears, ever, you know, sometimes you'll look at the feet, see what they're going to do. But the reality is, if you look at that head, the head decides what it's going to do way before it ever travels back to the feet. Yeah. So the question was, when did I decide? When did you know why you were here, your purpose, your work? I don't know. I always remember as a kid, yeah, I played the baseball hunt, but if I had the choice to be with the horses over playing baseball or all the other things, I was always with the horses. And not that back then that I had an understanding, because like I say, some of the methods we used back then, I would want a guy to be punished today 
for doing those things, but we truly didn't know any better, and it's the way it had always been done, and it takes years and generations to evolve out of that, so to speak. But it grew on me. It was like the fit was there, but man, when it did start, it was a lot of work because I realized I had to change about 98% of the way I thought about the horse if I was going to get my horses to where, like the horse you saw me ride today. Yeah. A willing partner, so to speak. Someone who was into it as much, enjoying it as much or more than me. And I think on the surface, when you look at people, if you see a parent with their child and they're out and they're both doing something and they are enjoying it, the child is enjoying it as much as the parent and the parent is elated and they're both in the moment together. That's where I I think someone asked me, what do you think the ultimate for the horse is? When I see that person and that horse and they are both as involved in it and enjoying it, the horse is enjoying it as much as the person is. And why does the horse enjoy it? Because it feels safe. It understands. It has no fear. Everything is good in its life. And its attitude yeah. is good. It's thriving. And those all come with certain, at least in my state of mind, with where I'm at in this life of how I understand it, of how to get there, of parameters to work with in. And you build this confidence, this safety parameter for the horse so that the horse can reach out and bring itself out mm -hmm. of the shell that it's in. Yeah, just to give that horse a place. What do we try to do for our children? Provide an environment where they can learn, but they cannot learn if they feel threatened. Yeah. And they don't feel safe. And if they're hungry and if they're unhealthy, mm -hmm. we've got to provide those things. We have an obligation to our children to teach them and give them the tools that when they do go out into this world, that they can survive. But you know what? My wife told me before she left, she said, I want you to remember, not everybody wants from a horse what you want from them. Mm. Most people want to just go out, ride, and have a good time. And she's right. And that's fine. But if you're having trouble in that area, it's usually the you that needs to learn a little more so that you and your horse can both get along. Yeah. And it's when you don't understand why. See, I'm getting back to where we started. When you don't understand what's going on and you don't have the tools to deal with it. And someone will say to me, well, I don't want a horse that I have got to think about your kid. You've got to put some effort into them to get them on the right track. Mm -hmm. Same thing with the horse. If it's not worth the effort and you go buy another one, there's a good chance, more than likely, that you're going to end up in the same boat. Not because the horse is better or worse. It's because you haven't changed any. Right. And you're offering the same information to the horse, and the horse is usually going to respond the same way. Sure. I want to talk because I'm thinking about this full circle idea, right? I never finished it, did I? Oh, I think you okay. did. I, I think we're still on the circle okay. right now. But I had this visualization. So 
a circle is also kind of like a clock, right? Mm-hmm. We only have so much time. Mm-hmm. And so much of this, I think, is not just spending time with horses, but good quality time, right? right? And instilling mm-hmm. confidence. The same with our children, right? right. Respect, discipline. Let me interject there, though. Sure. Being a good parent does not always mean good times. Mm, so See true. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Discipline. Now, when I run and don't let me get away from the circle, but these things are also important in this circle that to be a good parent doesn't mean you can't always be your child's best friend. This goes back to the lady who said, I think all horses shouldn't be ridden. She's entitled to her opinion, but all things worth having, at least in my lifetime and how I view it in my narrow mind. The good things didn't come without difficult times Yeah. in every case, whether it's someone asks you, how did you learn to make all these good decisions from a, a lot of bad ones, yep. <laughs> you know? And I think the fantasy of, oh, if we could just all sit on in a hammock in Hawaii or some exotic island and drink what are those exotic drinks, Mai Tais and stuff like that, and never have to do anything, but how worthless would we be? So making that circle, yeah, you try to generate the positive, but to get to that positive, there are times where you're going to struggle a little bit to cross that bridge. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think one of the thoughts I had about the clock and time, and we only have so much time here on the planet, right? Right. But when when Sybil crossed over, right, right, and the end of life that is talked about in this article, and how beautiful you saw hospice as being, right? Will you just share a little bit more about that? And the other piece of that that I thought was so beautiful, and I'm pretty sure this was also Sybil is when you have horses pass here on the ranch, right. how do you care for them and what? They're angels from heaven, at least the ladies here were. When Sybil was most troubled, and she had reached a point where she couldn't find comfort, these ladies knew how to do that. And so consequently, when Sybil passed, It was such a relief to me when these people came in. And I rejected the idea of hospice coming in because I didn't want to admit that I was losing her. And to me, that was an admission. My daughter stepped up again and did that. But it was the greatest thing that ever happened at that point in Sybil's life. So we wanted to try to give something back. So we did a horsemanship clinic, hospice fundraiser, and all that sort of thing, because they were a phenomenal bunch of people. Just the feelings, the comfort that they could give you, even in times like that, and the comfort that they gave Sybil in her passing moments. So what was the next question? I forgot that far back. It's okay. The other, the other part of the question is essentially hospice with the animals. How do we care for our animals' end of life and here at Green Mesa Ranch? Yeah, sometimes I keep them too long. But I found a lot of times with these horses, caring for them, when sometimes we think it's the end of life, sometimes it's amazing how they can heal themselves if we leave them alone and take the stress of human intervention off of them. Now, don't get me wrong. There are 
times we need the veterinarians out here and when there's something that can be fixed in those means. But when the animals pass, I used to get the backhoe, dig a big hole, put them in it. And then my wife one day says, why are we doing this? And I said, well, that's we've always done it that way. And she says, do you want to be put in a hole? And I thought about it and I thought, well, she says, think of their lives on this ranch. And you believe all animals have a right. The hawks, the coyotes, the grows, the wild animals. And she said, why do we not just take them out, lay them on the ranch and ashes to ashes and dust to dust and let the other animals benefit from there, what was their life? Because they're no longer there. Yeah. And so we just started taking the animals to a high hill out on the ranch where they can oversee the ranch. And it may sound corny, but that's what she and I evolved to. I would call it an evolution. Mm. And uh, I feel better about it. We can go up there now, and there's a big bone pile of all the old animals. But I think they would rather have gone that way than being stuck in a hole. So yeah. that's what we do. Well, and it's also back to that circle. It's yeah. a circle of life. It's a circle of life and the continuing circle of death, so to speak, of ashes to ashes and dust to dust. When we're of no longer of use mm-hmm. or we're no longer here, why not be of value of, to something to give back? even if it's just our old bodies, so other things can thrive. You know, I just thought of something as we're sitting here. It's about selfishness. Mm. Do we want to continue in the mode that just because our forebears did it, and they did a lot of great things, and we need to continue some of those traditions, but as we continue on, if we do see a better way, or at least what we think is a better way, why be selfish and stick? And I don't even know if that's the right words I'm using in the right context. I'm not real good at that stuff. But of open up and let other things benefit that truly benefit. Because what's the number one thing that we thrive on in life is food, mm. food, safety, And then everything else is secondary. And then if what we're doing is provide food for all these incredible creatures out here that we moved here to live among and admire, and if we can help them, better Mm -hmm. off for it, I guess. I love that. And I think caring for animals does produce a kind of selflessness because you're thinking of another being, their needs. and. A being that can't always tell you. They can sometimes show you. Exactly. But they can't tell you the same thing. But I tell you what, it's not because they're not trying to tell us. It's just we're not seeing it. And, you know, it's funny. In the past, when I've done clinics, there are people who don't get it. They'll come up to me and they'll say, you know, I understand what you're saying in theory, but I just can't do it. And I said, well, we're on the right track then. And they said, well, what do you mean? And they said, I can't do it. And I said, but if you understand our destination, the roadmap is easy to follow. Mm. But if you don't understand where we're headed, 
you'll wander aimlessly. Yeah. You see. And that's only my job at that point is to help you get to your destination to assist you, Mm -hmm. not to train you, to assist you, to help Mm -hmm. you get there. And the key to that statement is there are certain things that if, and maybe I don't completely understand the word of train, but if I train you, you're going to react a certain way to a stimulus, or you're going to depend on what I say to do something. What I want to see happening with the horse and with you is that you open up and you're not reacting. You're responding to each other. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So anyhow, probably off in left field again, but that's... We're coming around, though, because we haven't really touched on this one deeply, which I think is important, but the idea of reaction, I think we have such a reactionary kind of society. We do. That's the biggest enemy of the horse is quick fix. And when we were talking earlier, starting at the top about horsemen Mm. and how I said horsemanship, great horsemanship goes way back, way back. But to identify it, in the past, look at the Spanish Lipizzaners and the guys who trained those horses and tell you how ignorant I was. I always thought Spanish Lipizzaners were from Spain. I didn't know where they came from. And, but when I started reading about it and how these great horsemen would work with these horses back then, there were no overnight wonders. And Tell me the question again so I can get back on track. Reaction. Yeah, reacting. And Aloy Podosky, who was head of the Spanish riding school, would take these horses when Germany took over the country that the Lipizzaners were in. They knew that these guys who trained the Spanish Lipizzaners were better horsemen than them. Mm-hmm. And they were harsh, harsh German dressage riders who had their horses frustrated and burnt out. And they would give them to the Aloy Podosky to straighten out. And he would take these horses and just, as in what they term, ride them briskly for days and days forward. Mm. forward. Let the horse free itself of all the oppression and reactionary measures where the Germans had been so harsh on the horses that the horse just reacted to a right. stimulus, not thinking or responding but the difference between reaction and responding is when something happens, boom, you mm-hmm. react. Mm-hmm. That's a knee-jerk reaction. When something happens and you respond, there's a moment of thought, yeah. of process. And you most times make the right choice yeah. instead of just reacting to a stimulus. And that carries right on over when you have, have a horse who's been traumatized or heavy-handedly, they respond, they react. You want that horse to be calm enough in its inside that just responds to something. I feel like, you know, if we look at babies, and and there are certain things, hot flame, we react, right? right? But responding, when someone hands you a hot flame, and now you think about, I'm going to hold it out a little way, or I'll put my hand quickly over it, we're responding to it. Right. Working with a horse on a sunny day where there's no wind, it's going to look really different than on a very stormy day or those kinds of things. 
But I feel like some of this is maybe what's going on with the quick fix generation, where they're just going to go into the air conditioning. Right. 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 Like they're just they're just going to go. My my husband, we're looking at different homes, right? He's going. This one doesn't have air conditioning. I'm like, it's cool in the mountains. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Go outside and find some shade. Yeah, and it is anything that comes up. You just learn to adapt and deal with it. When your demeanor is right, the horse stands a way better chance of coming across. Then the minute you start feeling frustration because you're getting impatient, believe me, the horse felt that in you before you felt it in yourself. I mean, these guys read us like an open book. This quick fix thing, this is why when we talked about how in this circle, how many people start dropping off is because, well, it didn't happen as quick as I thought it was going to do. So I'm going to get rid of it and get another one. So what do we do when we do that? We start at the top of the circle again. Instead of getting halfway here, just because it's not coming as fast as you think it should. And I want to interject on this point. It's not coming as fast as you think it should. But the horse is coming faster. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But in your standard of living, you want this quick fix, automatic, responsive. You go out and turn the key on, push the gas, the motorcycle takes off. We have to invest more of ourselves Mm -hmm. to get that. Now, it is a lot of work and a lot of learning on our part to get that push-button horse that I talked about, to get that sparkles that I'm riding, it takes a lot of investment. And I guess you're either into it or you're not. In that circle, you can tell how much people are into it by at what point in that circle they start dropping off. But the few people, the horsemen, not the trainer, and I'm not being critical. I'll explain the difference to that in a minute. The horsemen, who just keep hanging in there mm-hmm. because it's getting easier now. Yeah. Did weren't looking for the quick fix. And they also realized that at one point when they hit in the circle, and I still haven't determined quite where that's at, at because it's different with every horse. But at one point, all of a sudden the horse was there. Then it was us that needed to start making the changes to take that horse to the higher levels. But if we don't make those changes, we're going to get stuck here and the horse is still waiting on us. Mm. Does that make sense? It does make sense. So that right there tells you this is not a quick fix thing. And this quick fix society has been the enemy of a lot of things. Dogs, horses, people with one another. When you can't sit back, take a deep breath and figure out what path you need to take to get there. If you think you can just punch a keyboard, and I'm as guilty as anyone else now that I've learned how to turn a computer on, which is about my limit, (laughs) but I will go on there for information because I can get it quick. But we can't let that interject into what we're doing. We have to change our, is the right word, persona? Maybe perception? No, our aura when we go work with this horse. It can't be, 
I'm a busy, busy guy and I'm doing things in a hurry. I got to get this done mm-hmm. because that disrupts everything with the horse. There is no time frame. Yeah, horse time. So two things I want to hear a little bit more about. One is trainer versus horseman. I want to talk about that a little because okay. I think it's an important thing to talk about. And the other is how does Johnny work through frustration? Let's take the first one and remind me of the second one because that second one's a hard question. I'm going to have to think about it for a <laughs> sure. while. But trainer versus horseman. And I don't want to make a lot of people mad, which I'm sorry if it does, but understand there are some phenomenal, phenomenal trainers out there who have these same thoughts in our head. But all of a sudden, when you reach a point where the money becomes more important than what you're working with, and that's the kind of position that trainers are thrown into. Instead of taking the time for the trainer to make the adjustment to get the horse to where it needs to be, they start using methods or gimmicks or tools or, and not like I say, not all of them, but a lot of them are thrown in position because I've got to have this horse loping for these people at the end of the week. So I'm going to write it down. I'm going to use a different bit. When in all reality, it does not matter the bit. Mm-hmm. It does not matter the mechanical device. What matters is how you can convey to your horse that if you're riding in a rope halter and it feels an ounce of pressure, it starts coming back off that. That's education. That's mm-hmm. not mechanical force. So I guess the bottom line is a trainer is going to use whatever means are necessary, not all of them, but some of them to get the job done given a certain amount of time. That throws you into a time constraint, yeah, which is not an advantage to the horse. But I will say this, and, you know, I have issues with the futurities Mm. because it's all about money, whether it's racehorses or cutting horses, or reining horses. Mm -hmm. Because it's all about the money and ego. It is about champions at any cost, at the cost of the soundness of the horse. And I don't think it's any awakening to anybody to know that most of these horses that have gone through to make these championships, half of them are lame by the time they get there. And they're doctoring them along. I will give credit to the dressage world, the Spanish liposage people. They take years to develop these horses. Yeah. But it's no different than if we took our children and skipped elementary school just because they were smart and talented. We threw them in junior high and high school and we hammered them. They'd be broke down by the time they ever got out of high school. Plus, they'd hit the wall somewhere because they didn't have the basics that they learned from. Mm-hmm. The Spanish liposoners, the dressage people, spend a lot more time developing and educating this horse mentally and physically. And herein, where I feel like we may have failed, is... The good trainers keep the horse's mind. They know how much pressure to put on and mm. when to back off before they fall apart. 
Some of them would blow their minds. And the reason I say this, because these are the horses I've gotten to, incredibly bred and talented horses who have hit the wall as two-year-olds because they had too much pressure put on them. So anyhow, the bottom line is the trainers are put in a position where they have to produce a certain thing because of the money and time constraints, where the horseman usually has an advantage or horsewoman Mm -hmm. is going to adjust to make it become the horse's idea. Mm. That takes time. Yeah, and that takes time. Yeah. But it's amazing when you start working that way, how quickly it happens. Because I had my apprentice went to work for some (laughs) reined cow horse caliber trainers out in California. He spent all of his time loping the horses down hours just so the trainer could ride it. And he always said, I feel like we'd taken more time in starting these colts and got a good attitude going. We wouldn't have to wear them down. Mm. And that's just my opinion. I get a lot of flack back from that, but I always have. And it's nothing new. But the trainer, the horseman or horsewoman, adjusts to make it become the horse's idea. And then everything starts working better because the horse has a positive mind. Yeah, I love that. So... Then what was the other one I had to think about? Frustration. How do you work through it? How do I work through frustration? It's an ongoing battle constantly. But it gets easier as I get older. It does get easier. I go because I'm more patient. I don't expect things to come quite as quick. I spend more time working with them. And I have tried to condition myself. And this is hard on the person to do this. Is when I tell somebody, if you get angry, don't ride your horse. Take a hike. Come back in a day when you're in a better mood. And I've had to teach myself that, too. I don't move as fast as I used to. I'm not as athletic. I don't think as quick as I used to. So I have to go slower and think things through more clearly Mm. and have a better plan. Like, I'm not as ready to step up on a horse to be ridden if he's not ready to be ridden, for obvious reason. But what is the result of that? I'm turning out better horses than I ever did when I was young because I'm taking more time with them. Mm. This goes back to taking time if, again, it's like our kids in school. We send them to school for 12 years through basic school and then to college. And then they say, now you've got the tools to go learn. If we give a fraction a fraction of that consideration to the horse, it is amazing what they give back. So true. But in order to do that, you've got to get that horse on your side. So you've gotten a lot of horses on your side, Johnny. I've been lucky in that way. Yeah. And, you know, the greatest rewards in my life have been the really troubled horses who've come to me. Who They're the ones who taught me the most. Mm. Do you have and, any favorites? And gave me, I won't say they're my favorite because the ones that were easy tried just as hard. Mm. But the most rewarding, because the easy ones were that, they were easy. The ones who had been troubled in their life and came to me with issues, they're always the ones who made me dig deeper 
to find out a way to come across to them. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't always smooth sailing. Mm -hmm. I mean, we all had our ups and downs and trials and tribulations and failures. But if you fell, you tried to figure out another way and just keep working. And most every time when you did it right for that particular horse, they'd come through. And that is also another lesson of there is not just one way to do things. This goes back to what I said about you take the great Western horseman and the great dressage guy. They're immediately going to understand each other, even though they don't talk the same language, because it's that feeling. Yeah, it's know? all a feel. Yeah. Speaking of feel, here at Green Mesa Ranch, what do you feel? What are your hopes and dreams for Green Mesa Ranch? What do you want to see? I want to see... The ranch and the animals are the ranch. The land is the ranch. The dogs are the ranch. I want to see everything thriving, mm. being the best that it can be. I don't expect my guard dogs to do cow work. I don't expect my cow dogs to do guard work. But I want them all to have that feeling that they can do their jobs mm. to the best of their ability. And that at the same time, we keep improving the land to the best of our knowledge so that everything is, as, is the best we can make it, that it's a worthwhile living life. Love it. I've had people bring me horses out here like there was a Mustang workhorse cross mare and... She was going to go to a rescue, but she was too dangerous to go to the rescue. And they brought her out here, and the veterinarian brought her and came back out about three years later and says, Man, what did you do to turn that horse around? And I said, I can't tell my secrets. The reality is I didn't do anything to her. I just let her be here. Mm. And it's almost embarrassing for an old rancher to say this, but the energy that was going on with the other horses... And she sat back and watched, and her curiosity got the best of her. Mm. And finally, she must have felt safe. And now you can go out there and handle her like a kid's horse. Not to mm. say she couldn't have a flashback, you know, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. it's just trying to make a better place for everything. Love that. Whereas the grass, the horses, the dogs, the cats, the chickens, whatever. Mm. And I don't know if I completely thought that way until I lost my wife. And that was a lesson that she taught me because to her last day, she had a smile on her face and living life to the most. And I think that's, that's probably what, even though I haven't always done it, what we should all achieve, that whatever we're doing, probably do us all well if we tried to make it a positive environment and make everything thrive instead of it just exist. Mm. One thing I've noticed about you, Johnny, and my kids, I can hear them out there, right? They're yeah. five and seven, right? But your sense of humor. As soon as you <laughs> met my girls and you said, you know, are you Fred? Are you Bob? Right. Smile if you're Bob, right. you know, and they're girls. But what are you bringing to the situation? I found out with the kids, I go up and talk to them like normal people talk to them. They're either going to be shy or inhibited or not talk. But when you stimulate them with something like that, yeah. <laughs> they come back at you. And sure. They open up to it. 
it kind of brings them out of a shell with a little tease, a little joke, and they seem to, and like when I say, well, if you're not Bob, don't smile, and they'll always <laughs> laugh, so that just starts, kind of seems to bring them out a yeah. little bit. Gets you on the right foot, just like with the horses. Well, I, I guess, and I'm sure they say, well, that's a crazy old cowboy. But. Oh, no, you're, you're the funny cowboy. They're excited right. to talk to the funny cowboy. But yeah, it's the same thing. <laughs> to make them not be afraid to come forward. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been a real joy. I, I feel like we could keep talking for hours. Oh, we could. Too. You get people talking about horses, it's, it's nonstop. But yeah, and I guess if in the end there's something that there was a message to pass on to the people that it's us that has to change to make the better horse, to bring the horse out. Because if what you're doing is not working, that right there tells you something. Yeah. Look in the mirror. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's not to be hard on yourself. Because when people tell me, I'm afraid of doing the wrong thing, but if you don't do anything, nothing's ever going to happen. Yeah. Except you keep getting the same thing. But that horse will always be there when you get it right. Totally. Nothing so. changes, nothing changes. But they're ready. I, I love hearing that. They're ready to come around. So, so beautiful. They They've are. Waiting. They always are. Awesome. Well, thank you. It's been a real pleasure. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for talking to me. God bless you, Johnny. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, the time has come for us to end this podcast episode. Thank you so much for listening. You listened all the way to the end. I appreciate you. And if you loved this podcast, please share it with a friend. Drop me a review. We all love five stars. But any stars, any feedback is welcome as a guest in the guest house of Rumi's poem, which you can find in my virtual workshop on catcaldwellmyers.com. We'd love to see you there if you want to continue the party and have an adventure of a day.